0: Hey everyone it's Will and James here. Welcome to
1: the Pure Sport Project. We want to jump into the minds of people we find inspiring from all walks of life. Bringing you their stories, lessons learned along the way and future plans. So tune in for some of them wholesome
0: yarns. Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to the Pure Sport. What's it even called?
1: Pure Sport Project.
0: Well, wow, fucking hell, who knew that? And you've been <laughs> on
2: the podcast.
0: I have been on the podcast
1: as a guest, but hey, now I'm a host. It was actually the first one I listened to. Was it? Was mm. it any good? It was actually it was banging, bang. yeah. Oh, really? I, I didn't did. even know all that stuff about you. Shit, I'm a I'm a wild character. I've got
0: deep past, a deep and dark, twisted past. Lloyd, do you have one of those?
1: I, I just love how you just described
3: yourself whilst looking deeply into my <laughs> eyes. <laughs> that really threw me. I
0: didn't hear any of the
3: words.
1: Is that recording? That is recording. Is it? Shit, the bed. That was really Were deep. It? To be fair, no. we are about... Community, looking deep into people's eyes. Yeah, we are. This is really intense,
0: guys. <laughs> there's, a, there's a high level of sexual tension. We've seen, if <laughs> <no> <laughs> <one lying laughs> I'm just gonna sip my coffee. <laughs> yeah, sip slow and sexy. Anyway, <laughs> we should probably jump into this. So. We've got uh, Mr. Lloyd Kempson on the the show today. He is the head of Team Project Run, a London-based crew. However, they do put together programs for anyone in the world. Lloyd is a well-travelled geezer. He also can run a 5K in 14 minutes something, which is totally insane. But, you know, good on him. Good on him for being a long-legged, pale, soon-to-be-mulleted runner. Lloyd, is there anything else you'd like to add to my (laughs) description of you?
3: You got the gist of it, but that's pretty much everything I've I've ever achieved. Most impressive is soon to be mulleted, I think.
0: But you have done the moustache bit. Yeah,
3: Yeah. I did. I've done a few of those, a few tashes and uh, mixed reviews. Mixed reviews. All women hate them and all men love them.
0: It's a tough, tough, tough balance to make, isn't it?
3: It is when you've got a girlfriend, yeah. (laughs) Tough. What
0: What did did you think, though?
1: That's the most important thing. Oh, man, I loved
0: it. It's 100% coming back. Hundred percent, Louis is in. Doesn't yeah. have to yeah, be November, die. people. Any month of the year. I feel like November
1: is an excuse to trial yeah. a mustache to see what you look like with mm. it. Absolutely.
0: And and you have a whole month at it.
3: You do. If you start growing it around August, by the time you get to November, you like "Yeah, just grew it, just grew it for the person." November, mate. <laughs> <laughs> wow, really? It's only
1: the second. Yeah,
0: no. <laughs> okay, so the theme for this is. I think we're going to be shooting a lot of shit, but at some point we will jump into it. um Lloyd, obviously you're a big runner, you're a coach. Where did your running journey begin? What was your earliest memory of running? Um, and yeah, what's the, what's the pre-story to get you to where you are now?
2: I love that
3: question, because it's always a memory that I only really think about when I get asked it, so it's quite a cool one. Um, my running journey started when I was seven years old. So coming up 20 years ago now, I've been running 19 and a half years. Um, my sister was the first runner in our family. My mum was a really good swimmer, my dad was a really good footballer, and then my sister was like one of those sporty kids. It was just good at everything, really. Um, So I went to watch her school competitions, and she's four years older than me, I should add. And she'd do really well in her competitions. She'd, you know, maybe win or come second. So it was really great seeing her do well. But as a competitive kid, sort of getting into the world of sport, um, I just wanted to be better than her. So straight away, I wanted to have a go at this running thing and i had no idea about it and the way it all sort of transpired was she went to this competition one day and at the end of the meeting um they said right guys we're going to do a charity walk where all the mums and dads are going to go on the track and walk a mile so all these mums are going out with their buggies and all kids and all dads walking the dogs and seven-year-old me just thought you know what? i'm just going to run around <laughs> so i, I just start running around the track a lap after lap after lap, and i don't know how many laps i did but i'm running around so you well, I don't know. I just, I literally just kept running until basically my dad showered at me so loudly from the car that we're going home that I stopped running. Anyway, so I go over to the car and I get in and I'm not all out of breath and stuff. And he goes, "How many laps did you just run?" I was like, oh, "I don't know." Anyway, he realised quite soon after that that I had some sort of talent because there weren't many kids at seven-year-old that could just run around for mm-hmm. like that long. Um, so yeah, he took me down to their local club. My first club was Knee Valley Harriers. Uh, and I ran for them from the age of seven until probably the age of like 21 Um, and that club was a massive part of my development I met my best friends through that club you know I've been to weddings with people at that club you know I've lived with people from that club and that was a massive part of my development into being a young man and taught me the sort of discipline I needed
1: If you, you wonder, wonder what, what that noise that is, is in the background, that is a dog shaking with its lead on.
0: It's Yoli and she's well cute. She is cute. Yeah. I always say, well, there's no point in me telling this, we're gonna cut this bit out, but show me your teeth. And she does a cute little grin and she shows a little gnashes to me. So we love Yoli, she's part of the crew. Right, so you're a running man since early, Lloyd. Yeah. man. Uh, competition, what was your what was your go to race growing up? When you started at seven, what was your what was your event?
3: The long, the longest distance was six hundred meters, so a lap and a half of the track, and you were only able to run that far until you reached twelve. So from, really, yeah. So the first, Facts. the first age group is under eleven in the UK. So I was seven, and I had like four years in that age group. And when I went down to the local club, I think there was like one other kid that was an under eleven. Whereas if you go down to your local club now, there's hundreds of kids. So the whole, the whole way that running has changed since sort of the boom of 2012 Olympics. It's, mm-hmm. it's incredible. But so back then it was like. I was training with like 15, 16-year-old lads. And because I was so competitive, I would want to try and beat those guys. But every week of training, I would try and keep up for as long as possible, try and beat those guys. And I think it massively helped me progress physically because obviously I was training so hard as such a young kid. Um, but yeah, in answer to your question, 600
0: metres was the was the go-to, man. I didn't know 600 metres was an event.
1: No. yeah. I mean, what was your record? What was the. Yeah,
0: what's the record for 600 meters?
1: It's such an odd distance. I couldn't well, tell you. Seniors
0: can do it in like one minute. I think, the, I think the
3: world record is something like one minute 14 seconds, something like that. To do 600? Yeah. Is it not quicker than that? No. Really? That's pretty good. That's oh. like 46
0: or 7 seconds through 400 meters. It's pretty rapid, man. Okay, makes sense. Hey, gee, you can come in.
2: Yeah, yeah. Oi, we're, real that,
0: chill. we're real chill yeah. on this podcast. <laughs> We're, we're getting it recorded. The G-Man's in. But about
2: that raw footage too. We are. <laughs> <laughs> here PSHQ. Uh, and Dave there's the man here, eh? there's many <laughs> collaborations going on. on here. Look at my swaggy cap. Mm-hmm. The, the audio listeners aren't gonna see
0: it. Gee, you're also it's, there, so got multiple actions of the man.
2: This is swag. How's the chat going? Yeah. yeah. Talking about right, some, some wisdom. I mean, we're literally be, just out Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the here wisdom's here. gonna flow. ain't yeah. right? got, got it yet. do Chip. Bloody good to have you, bro. Yeah, man. debut, man. Yeah, sick. Pure you, Sport Project.
0: You've got some socks as well. Yeah,
2: bro, you, you there's anyone that's going to put it. some miles in through those socks, that's you. This is true. They'll probably, I mean, you'll probably burn holes in them pretty quick, but... Yeah. I have actually got <laughs> them. No, they're there. actually
0: just, uh, they're actually very high quality, let's just say <laughs> it. Enjoy
2: the chat, guys. Have cool.
0: You. Thanks, man. So, from 600 meters... Yeah. Where, where do you go from there? So you had to be, you had to become 12 to go any any further than that in a, competi- in in a competitive competition, yeah.
3: state. Yeah, so you still had like cross country races as like an eight and nine year old, which would have been like, you're probably running for 10 or 12 minutes. So yeah. you ran a couple of K maybe. Um, but on the track, yeah, so 12, you can then start doing the 800 meters and the 1500 meters. Nice. And even 3000 meters if you wanted to. So it's a quite a big step up. So then I started doing the 800 meters predominantly, then the 1500 meters. And I stuck at the fifteen hundred metres for, for a long time, from the age of say, twelve all the way to today. Even still I still do the yeah. fifteen sometimes. And that was my favourite event. Um and it's only really been the last three or four years where I've dipped my towing some longer distances on the track and on the road and, 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 and so on, yeah.
0: And as a kid growing up, did running take you anywhere? Did you did you go on any trips or in any any school competitions that take, took you anywhere interesting? Um I didn't really get to go anywhere cool until i went to university
3: everything was in the uk predominantly. yeah most most kids don't really go anywhere unless you unless you can qualify for like a great britain junior team you don't really tend to go overseas until you get to say the age of like 17 18 in university but yeah i've been on some pretty cool training camps and
1: altitude in france and places like that so is there much of like a a social side of things because like with team sports obviously you mingle with various other kids but I guess running's quite individual. Yeah. But is there like a social side to it, like do you build friendships and stuff like that at such an early age? And go out on the piss.
3: <laughs> um I think it massively depends on the club you're in. So some clubs unfortunately, are fortunately really quite clicky or elitist or some people's faces don't fit, whereas some other clubs are more the opposite. I was very lucky that my club, um, when I made it into the senior team at sixteen I was the youngest by, you know, maybe six years. So I was the, the baby of the group, and they really looked after me. And all these lads would go on weekends away, and you know, to Cardiff or or, or, or other places, maybe up in Scotland. And, and they really took me under my wing. And you know, we train hard in the day, or race in the day, and then go out at night, and you start building friendships. And yeah, there was a like the social side of it was the best part. You know, we all we all try to do well, but really. Having your mates there with you was so was so cool in terms of like even if you had like a sucky race you could still know that your mates were there and they wouldn't be that bothered and you're still gonna get steam on at night anyway regardless <laughs> you know what I mean. but mate some of these weekends away were so class I remember being like seventeen too young to get in anywhere and like they try and smuggle me in and like, <laughs> like we were in like gay bars in Leeds and I was like seventeen like, <laughs> do not know any of this right. Like. It was just so good. She does Sorry, Mama Lloyd. It was so <laughs> good fun, and it's just awesome. So so good. Loved it. Is used... it
1: mixed? Like, because I think this. Correct me if I'm wrong, but at an early age, I think girls mature earlier than boys, like through puberty. Yeah. And there's normally like, in a certain year group, the girls are normally taller than the lads. So, when you used to race and stuff, was it mixed or was it very much like, like boys raced against boys and girls raced against girls? Um. Yeah. But. Boys always race boys,
3: girls always race girls, but we train together. Mm-hmm. So I'm maybe 13 and I was probably running the same sort of speed as like 17 year old girls were. So, yeah, for quite a lot of my development I was always competitive against the girls and then once you get faster and faster you kind of leave those behind. Um, some road races were mixed, but yeah, predominantly track races were always male and female, cross country always male and female, and yeah, different distances and stuff. And yeah, it's funny you actually mention that because there's a massive story in the, at the media at the moment about e- equally and the uh, distances that men and women run over cross-country. Mm-hmm. It's in, in British athletics at the moment, and it's going through, they're doing loads of surveys about it in terms of you know how far women should run, should they run the same distances as the men, and all of this is all up in the air. I'm
0: not really too sure what's going on, but back when I was a kid, yeah, just uh, men would race men and women would race women. Because that's what's kind of different about the ultra community in terms of races that there are some events where women will win. Yeah, sure. And it's, it's it's one of those things where you look at women and what they have to go through just through their lives, just in general, through the menstrual menstrual cycle and having kids and whatnot, and having that ability to handle pain and carry it on your shoulders is. Is directly obvi- obviously good for those ultra distances so there's this badass in America yeah. called courtney bowler oh yeah courtney's a beast she's an absolute beast yeah. and i actually learned recently she lives near my mate robbie belenga oh, really? and he knows her and he said she's a beast and she always beat well obviously she always beats her husband at these yeah. ultra races because
3: she beats because most
0: because dudes yeah and she is cut from a different different cloth but over those ultra distances you can if you can embrace pain i get beaten by women all the time i don't think i've been in a race where i haven't been beat by a woman
3: yeah it's it's an interesting one because the 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 events that they're talking about are like cross-country races is what they're specifically talking about and and men will race 10 or 12 kilometers right and and women may race 6 or 8 kilometers so the the, the argument that's, that's up there at the moment is should women increase their distance to run the same as men or should men shorten their distance to, or meet in the middle or whatever it is so there's 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 an argument on both sides because there's going to be women out there that may be like 16 17 years old ready to step up to the seniors and they're like well i don't want to run 10k and that'll put them off running at all mm-hmm. So that's going to harm you know like and um, numbers of participation and things like that and then there's people out there that are already running these long distances and they're like well i like running long distances so i don't want to run shorter so that might put them off so i, I don't really think any particular outcome is going to please everyone, but mm. at the end of that, it will not please everyone. You can't, you just
0: got to adapt and, uh, and accept it, yeah. right? on
3: a personal level, I really couldn't care less. <laughs> why as, long as, <laughs> as long as I get a race right now, I can care <laughs> less if it's 1k or 50k. <laughs> I really don't care. You want a 50k, do you? I'd take a 50k. Yeah, really? One, yeah. As long as there's a race and a Seshwari <laughs> after, I'm <okay>. going
1: <laughs> Importance what's to Lloyd Seshwari. What's the longest race you've done? Marathon.
0: Yeah, I've done a marathon. Two marathons um, is, is the longest. I did London in,
3: London in April 2019. That was just for a bit of final pace on the but It's around 3.09. I think it's around like a 15-minute PB. That was that was good fun. Um, and then I did New York that same year in November. Um, New York's quite a funny story. Actually. I was there. Was you? Yeah.
0: No way. I was in New York. I was up there looking at the finish line. So I probably saw or well, oh, I was too mate. late. Too should, late to fly We should have had some vibes then. Okay. Well, as you said, it's a good story. Let's let's jump into New York. Firstly, what was your time at New York? Because you weren't pacing someone. I 309. Yeah. Is fucking fast, anyway.
3: So the the 309 thing was an interesting one because it was it was like just outside the seven minute mile, and I think it was 709 per mile. So that was like my recovery run pace. so, so that was okay. To, to do and I was fine doing that and then New York um, came off the back of the whole of September I had off I was in Santorini for September I'd finished the track season on the PB and I had a month off so I'd been you know boozing it up in Greece and, and I was so out of shape and living the dream literally the best time ever mm. and when I came back at the start of October I got given this opportunity from uh, New Balance who was working at the time they said oh we can get you a place in New York Marathon and I'd never been to America. And when a brand says, look, we're going to pay for your flights, your hotel, your <laughs> place in the race, the lot. And while you're out there, we'll do some cool content. You're a bit of an idiot to say no. That's a yes. That's a yes. Mm. So I took the opportunity and I, I rang my coach and I said, look, Jeff, I've just been given this incredible opportunity. But in six weeks time, I've got to run the New York Marathon. And he was like, oh, Lloyd, we're doing this again, are we? I was like, yeah. And he, he said, OK, I've done it once so I can do it again. So he was like, just go there and run three hours, trip, just enjoy the experience. Because when you get back, we want to jump back into training, do some cross countries and and, and race hard. Um, obviously, not long after New York, really, when you look at it, we went into a pandemic. Mm. So little did I know that I was going to be like, that was the last time I went overseas. It really sucks, man, when I think about it. Yeah, that's us. hard, that is tough. Um, so I go out to New York and I'm chilling with all the New Balance crew and. We're, the pre-event, you know, two or three days before the event, I'm going to all these New Balance events. I remember being in this, uh, this, piece, this pizza party in, this, in this, this, this bar where all the New Balance American team were there and stuff. And all of a sudden, I'm just chilling and Emma Coburn walks in. And Emma Coburn's like the American steeplechase champion. Mm-hmm. I think she was third or something at the Olympics. Absolute babe, right? <laughs> and she's like, she's literally my idol. She walked in and I just, I'll just watch her walk slow motion my head just follows her walk in and like my mouth drops to the floor i don't get like this about anyone Uh and she walks in i just froze and the whole evening i was like can someone take me to talk to emma cobert please (laughs) like
1: a little kid at christmas
3: and i finally spoke to her i think i muttered like four words like hi emma my name's lloyd So
0: there's no further story about
3: Emma Kirby. Not at all. Not. Literally, <laughs> zero personality towards Emma like, it's really sad. I really wish I had used my opportunity better there, but hey, hey. Um And yeah, so it was really cool to be in with all these great athletes and the experience it was incredible. And then the day of the race comes. We sh- we're staying at the Sheraton, Times Square. Everyone's up at like 4 a.m. because for anyone that's done like New York Marathon, you'll know this, but the process of getting to the start, the start is so far away mm. from the sense the main city center and Central park and the finish line right so you have to get onto these massive coaches and they drive you to the start and i remember this coach journey i must have been on this coach for like an hour and a half driving to the start so that time i'm on there and i've got my headphones on i'm getting a bit in the zone and things like that and it's still like half five in the morning and i hadn't really thought how quick i was going to run um and as i say like with that month off in Santorini, i'd only really had about six weeks jogging mm-hmm. to get into uh marathon finish shape and uh I remember I put into my group chat back home, the team project run group chat, because obviously the time difference, they were all up. And I was like, yo guys, don't really know what time I'm gonna to run today. Anyone got any ideas? That was the message. Mm-hmm. And some guy that's got, the guy I've coached for, uh, for ages now, Adam Brown, he's a great guy. He messaged, he said, "I oh, want you to run 2.40, 2 hours 40? I was like, yeah, that's, that's a nice idea. And i put that in the pace to calculate. And it was like 6.05 a mile. I was like, yeah, that's sweet. So then I thought, right, 239 to 59 sounds a little bit better though, doesn't it? And I was like, always. That's like 603 a mile or 604, yeah. Right, that's the game plan. So straight away, I'm like, splits, that 5k, that had 10k. I'm running 239 guys. So we get to the starting area. I'm just hanging out, chilling. I see a few guys from Britain that are over there doing some commercial stuff. So I caught up with those guys. And then we uh we head to the start. And this is probably like the highlight of my life to this point, this, this next 10 minutes.
0: Emma Coman kissed you on the lips. I wish she did. Wish <laughs> she didn't.
3: She got straight past me. <laughs> no, so we're at the start line, and because i would had this entry from New Balance, this VIP entry, I was very lucky that I was just behind the elites. So I was three or four rows behind like some of the top African guys, some Australians like Jack Rayner, Brett Robinson, all these amazing athletes. And uh, all of a sudden, they have this massive grandstand where they've got like the mayor, all of these really important political people, <laughs> and then they bring this chick out to sing the uh, the national anthem. I think she'd been on like Dancing on Ice or something. I don't know.
0: Good honour. Yeah.
3: So she comes out and she starts belting out of this song, and it's all emotional. And as she hits the final note, these massive three choppers come flying over, and all this American flags, and it was insane. Yeah. The atmosphere was, just, the vibes were incredible. Like I nearly broke into tears, man. I was like. <laughs> Oh, I've got to run 26.2 miles now at 6 minute mile and this is fantastic um, so yeah, gun go goes, off we go 500 metres into the race I feel my hamstring cramp and I'm like, oh my god I think I'm going to have to stop <laughs> <laughs> is this for real? I've never had a problem with my hamstring before what is this? I am not made of paper, Like I'm a beast I can do this anyway, so I'm like, right, slow down don't panic, don't panic Starts to go away, starts to go away, and I'm like, right, I think it's okay now. And then, yeah, started knocking out six minute miles, 601s, 550s, get, getting, on, getting all right. And honestly, I was having the time of my life, and it was sweet. Went through 10 miles, halfway, 15, 20 miles, no worries. And then I hit 22 miles. Oh, yeah, geez. So I hit 22 miles, and we'd done this. We'd, New York Marathon is just straight roads, the mm-hmm. whole of it is just like. Five mile stretches, and then you hit a turn. And when you hit a turn, you're like, "Yes, a corner." But the last few miles are really twisty turning. So like your legs are locked into just running straight, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you start hitting bends, and your legs are like just shattered. So 22 miles, we get into the downtown, and we start hitting these corners, and my legs are just buckled. And I had these two miles, where I was like, I was really struggling. Shrug- Struggle, Struggsville, as I call it, the wall. Not yet, not yet the wall. no well, nah, no, we didn't hit the wall, but it was. It was hard. Mm-hmm. That was what I'd say. And then, uh, and then, luckily, I was able to, to come back at the end. And I, uh, I think I ran two thirty nine eleven, which is pretty comfortable in inside. But it was a cool feeling to like, like any accomplishment, I suppose, when you know you've done it and you but you still got a bit to go. So mm-hmm. like three k to go, I looked down at my watch and I was like, yeah, I'm gonna run sub two forty. That was a cool feeling to be able to say, right, I've done thirty nine k's, I'm gonna do this. But honestly, it was insane.
0: Gets me emotional just thinking about it. That marathon was sick, and the ending at Central Park vibes exactly. everywhere. Well, there were there a lot of people there? Yeah, because this was pre, so yeah, was this pre, was pre, insane. anything had even even been mentioned. Yeah, it was absolutely yeah. amazing, man. Yeah, I remember. Sounds great. Oh, it's what cool. a wonderful time to be alive, hey James? Back in the days. Back in the days, you could socialise. They were good days. <laughs> All right, so we know you're fast. We know you, we know you like to travel. Um, what the viewers probably don't know is you've got a tattoo of australia on you haven't you
3: yes on my right calf
0: and why why is i mean i love australia but i know you've been there what what is the story of australia why have you got a tattoo of it on your leg so oh, go. i've got a tattoo of, of it on my leg because one
3: time over a liquid lunch mm. i walked past the parlor and i always wanted this t- tattoo and i just was pretty drunk so i was like yeah this would be a good time go and get it done No no pain threshold. I'm buzzing about it as well. I was like, yeah, it'll be fine. Um, But the reason why it's there is because I, many moons ago, so I'm 26, coming up 27 now. When I was 21, I think, I was working full-time, nine-to-five job in an office out of college at Volkswagen. Uh, I was a customer service advisor, dealing with people's problems, basically. Mm. And when you deal with people's problems, you very quickly realise that there are a lot of arseholes out there and you very much quickly learn how to deal with assholes and you also learn how to deal with people generally not necessarily all bad people and i think this is what this is a big skill that i've learned for coaching i learned how to manage people and manage people's expectations and problems so i'll use that in every aspect of life now but i was working this job and i hated every minute of it i was earning about half a biscuit a year it was just, it was terrible like it was a terrible time really and I had to I had to do something in my life and I remember I said to my dad one day, I said, Dad, I need to get out of this country, I need to I need to do something that's like wow or a risk. Because everything I'd done to that point was just safe. You go to secondary school, you go to college, you get a job, and it's just like this is boring. I wanna do something that I look back and think that was stupid or well, that was amazing. Um, so me and him went for a curry one night, classic. anything that's serious, do it over a curry. Ruby Murray, do a couple of cobras
0: in you as well, and then you exactly. really start talking. <laughs>
3: Exactly, so we're having a chat and I'm like, right, where can I go? And he said, well, why don't you go to Australia? Because he'd been, he'd, he's got a business friend out there and um, I've got a friend out there and I thought about it and, and we spoke about it. And I well, was so at that point in my life, like, I didn't have any money behind me at all. So, and to, to get the working holiday visa, like visa, you have to have some savings, you have to have proof that you can financially look after yourself and that. So my dad, very fortunately, lent me some money. I think he lent me about five grand to go out there. And about a week later, I resigned from that job, uh, told them I'm resigning because I'm going to go and live in Australia. And they were like, no, you're not. Well, they're like, ha ha ha. They were like, no, and I was like, i have legit booked my flight last night. Like, I'm, I'm flying in four days. So see you later. <laughs> yeah. Um, they were like, well, you've got to work, you know, so it's like, Yeah, good one. Um, no, no. Nah, no, that sucks. That, that, that does sound, if you, if you work for Volkswagen, I'm really sorry, guys, but also, other, not other car, sorry. car
0: providers are available we yeah. don't have to do that shit here do we exactly i like saying it
3: so yeah flew to australia and it was just a case of i knew one person out there where was, did you fly to Sydney. nice so i knew one person in australia yeah. and uh, it was my friend dan hog big up dan and he'd gone out there sort of, same sort of thing as me you know gone out there on a whim he's a little bit older than me when he went but you know he's now got his wife out there he's got He's got his little girl, you know, he's got his house, he's got his job, he's got his setup complete. he's got his green card and everything's worked out fine for him so it was like, I kind of wanted to replicate that or just give it a try. So yeah, went out, went out there to see him and back in them days he was living in a house share, stayed there on a sofa for a bit. He got me a job interview at his uh, this local call center that he worked at and this, this is his call center, man. It was almost like a sort of uh, shrunken down version of Wall for Wall Street, you know, like, where it's just like mental, like, everyone's on the phone. and It was kind
0: of like that. Were you throwing midgets? There
3: were no midgets being thrown. but but you know, Big butts. No, there weren't no midgets being thrown. But it was, it was crazy. Like, it was just full of backpackers and just people coming through and just trying to earn a few dollars to, you know, pay for the next night out or whatever. And it was such a cool little vibe there. And, you know, everyone was just single, ready to mingle. And it was, you know, everyone was just shagging everyone in the office. It was mm-hmm. that sort of vibe. And it was... A lot of fun. So yeah, got a job there. Was working there for six months. Obviously, running's always been a massive part of my life. So like, not only getting a job and settling down, I was never really going to do that backpacking thing because I want to. I want to run mm. wherever I go. You know, I didn't want to sort of stay in a hostel and all of that. I just wanted to settle down, get a job, get an income, carry on running. So went down to my local track, got involved with those, the, some, some some guys there, and started running a bit and. Yeah, I lived there for a year, and it was the best year of my life. Um, and the reason I had to come back was because if you've been out to Australia, you'll know like how it all works with the visas and stuff. But um, you can either do like your agricultural farm work to mm. extend your visa, or get sponsored by a company. And if you know me, you know I'm never going to work on a
0: farm for three months. That's not my vibe. So you could have run around herding up the fucking wallabies or something, couldn't you? man, oh, no, no, That wasn't a job. I like bra. Not that grass. Nah. <laughs> I not I don't make bananas and stuff and spiders in it. Yeah. Spiders. Scary stuff out there. That's the real outback. Yeah. So and I did the same thing, I went to Australia. Yeah. I was supposed to be going for a year, two years, I bigging it up. I lasted six months, oh. which was gu- which was good for me. Um, awesome. but I did the whole I did the whole hostel thing. Nice. Uh, yeah, every night. Box of goon, did you ever go down the goon route?
3: You know, I've never took
0: goon, never had
1: you haven't had the proper Australian You've experience been to Australia as well, right? Goon. Yeah, never had in goon. my first week. I had a box of goon, I hung yeah. out with mates that had it. <laughs> I had a uh, Christmas Day on Coogee Beach, yeah, with a Coogee. box of goon. And which the, year, hmm? what year was it? 2017. I, I was on that exact beach that day, no, you
3: know, that was the day no. that they, they obviously all the Brits and stuff flocked there, didn't they? Yeah, and, and they we then they shut it down, yeah, I was that right.
1: I was at that rate. <laughs> <laughs>
3: wow. Oh mate, I got sunstroke that day. <laughs>
1: yeah. My friend got stung by uh, a jellyfish and she got taken away. I had this box of goon that we put in a in like a plastic container, the sun heated up oh and it had goodness. spices and stuff. It was basically like having mold wine. Amazing. On- on the beach, yeah, it's insane. the thing
0: I liked about Goon most was that uh, they had all these suggestions of what meal to pair it with. <laughs> no, <I> still, <laughs> so, if, the, if you don't know what Goon is, by the way, Goon is boxed wine, so it's, it's a box and it comes in a silver metallic bag, and it's as shit as it can get, it's cheap. So, that's why backpackers and tourists, and basically, no one, if you don't have a lot of money, you get a box of Goon and you get loose as a goose, and it's hilarious. But there was one I remember, a rose one. That had a picture of pad thai on the back of it and it said it said goes perfectly with thai food <laughs> i shit you not it did not go with anything <laughs>
1: but maybe a bag of tang fast would have been right but wow. thai food
0: definitely not but like, yeah it
1: goes with a good night out that's what it does
0: but i'm shocked disappoint yeah i'm real disappointed you didn't goon it up do you, know what? Do you like the beer
1: as yeah, well yeah i you know like i think
3: i'm a little bit pretentious i do think i'm a bit pretentious i know i feel like i i feel ashamed <laughs> right now but
0: I don't know. I so went I don't know do. why I didn't. We do could it. find
1: a box of wine as a as a gift for Lloyd for being on. I reckon yeah. you could get goon in the UK. Yeah, yeah you yeah. definitely can. There is boxed wine. Yeah, yeah. We just got to find the cheapest one. The internet's yeah. an amazing place. You could definitely yeah. find a box of goon <sighs> mm. as soon as lockdown's done. If not, Hoggy, if you're listening,
3: can you go down to the uh Coles and get me a box of goon and just post it over? <laughs>
0: there you go. Great. We might oi, we should definitely do th- if we do this again we can get gooned first Wow. and then redo the pod. well, redo podcast. Well, not redo it, just go a for a different podcast. Vibe. Yeah. Hey, we're all about health, happiness, and having fun here. That's and nothing's off, the, nothing's off the cards. That's how we want to play this. We, uh, we like talking about running. We like talking about health, but we're all about having a good time. We're not, we're not too serious here. Um, I think I can speak for everyone on that. Amen. Preach, brother. Amen. So would you go back to Australia? Yes, so
3: since coming back. So I came back just after Christmas. Um, I came back about two weeks after that because my visa was ending at the end of January, 2018. um, And I was like, gonna start university and stuff. But I've been back twice, both times in January. I generally try and go back every January if I can, Mm. um, whether it's for like a wedding or whatever, but obviously, pandemics put a stop to that. But um, yeah, I I mean, I've got plans to go. Now now I own a business, I can get an easier visa and yeah, I've got plans to go quite a lot.
0: So that business, Team Project Run, obviously a huge part of your life. When, when did that start? What sparked the idea? Um, and, and sort of, we can talk about this afterwards, but what are your aspirations? Where where do you want that to lead? So it all started in in Sydney. So I was it, it was uh, it
3: was one day in November, I was, I was standing at Centennial Park on a Sunday morning waiting for all the lads to turn up for the long run. And uh, all of a sudden, it's about 10 to eight in the morning. And this big group of runners just run past me, you know, 50, 60 runners. And they're all wearing this black singlet. Uh, and at the front of the group, you had some guys that I knew from the circuit. You had a couple of Olympians in the marathon. You had a couple of really good 5K guys. And some really competitive ladies. And then you got, like, as the group comes past, you got, like, the junior athletes and then some, like, older veteran athletes at the back to the point where, like, right at the back of the group, you had a completely diverse type of runner compared to the front. And they're all wearing the same black singlet like 60 of them and i'm just like this is mad i've never seen anything like it it was like a like a cult if you like yeah mm. i'm like what is that so i asked my mates i'm like you know what's that group there like all those guys and they were explaining to me what it was and they were explaining it. it's like a running crew um and the head coaches was a guy called benny st lawrence who's he was the 10k record holder for australia at the time this other guy gary who i met down the track a couple of weeks later because I wanted to find out what this was all about because I'd never seen anything like it. Um, now at the time I was doing a bit of work for Nike Run Club and the only thing I could relate it to was that where people would meet up and go for a social run. But this was different in the sense that the diversity amongst the group was so, something I'd never seen before. You know, I'd never, I didn't realize that Olympians could run with complete beginners and make it look so cool. Like I just, I'd never heard of anything like that. Um, So I went down to the track and i would start quizzing Gary about this whole thing that he's doing. He's like, yeah, I'm an online running coach. That's my crew. And yeah, we've got runners all over Australia and we do races and we do like three sessions a week where we meet at the track or the park. I was like, that's really cool. So I go onto his website, I'm checking it out. I'm having a look at what he's offering. I'm looking at how much it is a month. I'm starting to do the numbers of how many athletes I saw. And I'm just thinking, wow, these guys are killing it. Like they're making some serious coin and doing something that is amazing. so the sort of, that's where the light bulb went off because back in the UK, I knew that I was coming back to the UK and I was thinking, well, how, what's like that in the UK at the moment? And I'm thinking, well, there are a few commercial run clubs majorly around the cities. You know, you had like the main Nike ones in London, you had a couple of maybe Adidas, uh, maybe one in Manchester, but there wasn't anything that brought people together from everywhere. It was only if you were able to have access to those cool run clubs in London or you looked good on the gram or whatever it was. But no one, no one was doing anything that could cater for that athlete in the valleys of Wales or in the arse end of nowhere in Scotland, the complete beginner that doesn't have anyone that she knows is a runner or a club near her or is too intimidated to go to a local club, whatever the reason was. There's nothing out there at the moment other than couched 5K that appeals to that runner to think, I am... I belong to that or I can get my shoes on and go for a run. So I thought, right, well, obviously I can't just go home and say, well, I can help you because they'll be like, who, who are you? You're in, like, you, go away, you weirdo. So I needed to think, well, how can I not only help people in terms of bringing them into something, but also show them what I'd learned and cherished from running for my local club, meeting the boys, that massive social aspect of you know making friends and having those experiences as well as representing the same thing that we all would die for in the club, um, as well as physically getting better, faster, healthier, mentally becoming stronger, understanding the ha- you know, discipline and getting the best out of yourself. Like, how could I do all of that? And the first thing I thought was, well, I'll do that by coaching people one-to-one. So you know, whether it's one person or you know, whatever it is, if I can start to echo that to them, then maybe more people will get on board when they see that one person doing well. So when I came back to uh, Peterborough in England where my, where my dad was living at the time, I gave him this idea and he, and he thought, yeah, it's quite a cool little idea. Um, and I started, you know, I didn't know how to run a business. I didn't know how to do anything, man. So I, sta- I sat down and I started you know, writing notes and stuff and thinking like, what, what can I do? So I had this idea, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a load of leaflets for my coaching services, kind of like, like an old school personal trainer. Mm-hmm. This is what I can offer you. And I'm gonna go down to my local park run. And I'm going to hand them out to every single person that finished. So I went onto the website, contacted Part Run. I was like, "Yeah, can you? Are you going to allow me to do this?" And they're like, "Yeah, it's fine." So I said, "Dad, I need another thousand pounds." He was like, "Why?" I was like, "Well, I need to get these leaflets. I had no money." He's like, "Okay, I'll give you this thousand pounds." So he lent me another grand. I go down to Part Run. I've told a couple of people this story. I handed out 617 leaflets. I remember this number so strongly because i didn't get one inquiry like no one inquired and said oh i heard about you from a leaflet so that sucked because i just borrowed a thousand pounds for literally nothing i think i ended up throwing half of them away um and i then got like a part-time job at my local running store and i said to the owner the person that was running the manager i said oh can i put this leaflet in the, the board she was like yeah it's okay and people were coming in and talking, and a few people, knew, like quite a few people in that area knew me because like, I had the part course record, I was probably the quickest dude in the area they would see me in the paper or whatever, so I knew people. But they'd come in and they wouldn't see the leaflets behind me. So I'm thinking, well, this just isn't good enough. I've got all this passion, but I'm i am literally just giving you the shoe to buy, and I don't even rate the shoe, man. So, like, <laughs> I don't, like what am I doing here? This sucks. So... I thought, well, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to use this time when they come in to buy a shoe. I'm going to talk to them about running and talk to them about Team Project Run, and say that the other coach, if not, I'll coach you. And that's how it started. That's how I got my first athlete. It was in, it was in Sweatshop. Um, Sarah Pierce was my first athlete. I still coach to this day. That was April the 14th, 2017. Was the first day that I spoke to her. She won't even know that I know this date, but I do. She came in to buy a pair of New Balance, and I started coaching her. And she was my first athlete. And then I got a second athlete that she knew. And that's where the ball started rolling. Started coaching people, you know, sending like Excel spreadsheets across every week. of their training, really old school. You know, I think I was charging probably like 15 quid, 20 quid a month in them days. Um, you know, those people started getting faster. Um, and it was honestly, it was like that for a good 12 14 months that was what it was it was coaching a handful of people six seven people for like a year sending them excel spreadsheets that was all i was looking to do and i was happy with that and i think a lot of people that see team project run don't know that they don't understand the graft so that was all it was going to ever be and then it was kind of like one pivotal moment where team project run took off and it was the social media aspect because when i was coaching those seven people. I didn't have a team to run on Instagram, it was just me. I was just posting about my own running or whatever it may be. Um, and I went off to... Went, so when it all went boom was after a year of TPR. So it was April 2018. I went to a, an altitude camp in France. I was posting content out there of me running, training or whatever. And obviously, this was a lead up to London Marathon. And I think I had about 15 or 16 athletes at the time. And I thought I was doing really well. And I was in France for a month. And in the time I was out there, I came back and we had 68 athletes. So I went out there with 16 and I came back with 68 athletes that I was coaching because like, it just went boom. We went to London Marathon and people smashed it. People were getting PBs. Our name was everywhere on social media. People were like, what is Team Project Run? They offered me coaching, great. I want to get faster, fantastic. Oh my God, community, that's incredible. I want to be a part of it. And it was insane. Like, came back from this trip and I was like, wow, I've got like 70 athletes, like, <laughs> this is incredible. How far can this go kind of thing? Um, so that was really the sort, it was kind of like Team Project Run really was born on that day that I got back from that camp. It was like, this was like, right, well, I'm at university, but I don't want to go to my lectures because they're boring and I don't, I'm not passionate about what I'm doing there. I just want to do Team Project Run. I just want to sit in my room and just develop this website, develop this and make this better. So that's really where it all started and that's where the sort of boom came from. Um, obviously, we're well down the line now and a lot has changed, but the motto that we created back in day one, or I created, I don't even know how I created it, but it's one of them things, I guess. The mantra was that we'll show you the physical, mental, and social benefits that running can bring you. So physically, I will show you how you can get faster, become healthier. Um, mentally, I'll show you how you can become more at one with, your, with yourself, be at peace with yourself, be mentally more strong, be more disciplined. And socially, I'll show you how powerful it is to meet people. Like, we wouldn't know each other if we didn't didn't run, for example, right? That's just a prime example. Like, I wouldn't know anyone in my life that I know if it wasn't because of running. And I value that. And the way that I can get that across to other people, because there are millions in the world right now that don't understand that. And the opportunities that can come from that, that can benefit your health, are endless, man.
0: A powerful story from well it's clear that the proof was in the pudding you had yeah. you kind of had coaching ingrained in you you knew the training that worked for you you give it out to a few people people come on a few people they start getting pbs snowball effect you start getting all these all these other people come in you yeah. get back from france you got 68 athletes is that right yeah is, there, is this a point where you think can i need to bring other people in to manage it because now you've got some world-class yeah. athletes and coaches you got You've got Roscoe, former Olympian, you've got Ali Dixon, former Olympian, you've got Tom Evans. <laughs> Tom Evans based Beast, ultrarunner, best in Britain. Yeah. How how did how did those how did you get those people on board and was there a certain time where you said, Okay, sixty eight, I can do this, but if I get more people on, yeah, how do I be like specific in a short distance and longer ones? So
3: when, we, when, we came back, when I came back from France, it kept going, it kept growing. And the peak amount of athletes... So I'll say for the record, I don't really coach that much this at the moment mm. these days uh, through choice, through, I suppose, growth. But I, just, I don't coach that many athletes one-to-one anymore because I've got loads of other stuff going on. But the most amount of athletes I ever coached was something like 117 athletes. That's how big it got. Now, there may be people listening to that being like, how do you coach one-to-one? So 117 athletes, surely your coaching standard is so low. But they didn't see me at 4 a.m. in the morning, I'd still be working. Like I would, I would never go to, a, I failed uni, I dropped out because I wouldn't go, because I'd be coaching. I'd be on my phone 10 hours a day, every single hour of the day I'd be coaching, doing what I can. And it's like, people are like, oh, how, how do you coach 117 athletes? Well, how do you not? You don't know how I do it because you've not worked hard enough to do it.
0: That's me. So, <laughs> so I like, feel like an idiot asking that question. <laughs> it's
3: like court, Courtney, Courtney Dalwater, how do you run so fast? Well, True. because you've worked so hard. Like, we don't understand because we haven't done the work. So it did get really busy, don't get me wrong, and I completely burned myself out. I worked stupidly hard. Just, like, I would never do that again, and that's why I don't coach as much anymore because it's just not healthy. It completely take, took over my life, and I was infused by it. So it got to a point where I was like, Team Project Run was very well established in the UK market, proven record, but I, was ne- I just wasn't happy. I wasn't happy. I was happy with everything in terms of the size of the business and how much money it was making. Yeah, fantastic, that's great. Not really important for me personally, but I wasn't happy with the infrastructure. I wanted to wake up and know that it wasn't just me Because I could spout until I'm done, and you know I could shout from the hilltops about how great I am as a coach, but if it's only me that believes that, then it's only ever going to be me that invests in it. So what I mean by that, I I wanted to bring more people in that could kind of solidify what I was saying and solidify our message to say we will deliver world-class coaching because i'm going to build a team of world-class coaches i'm not just going to say i deliver a bit world class coaching i'm going to prove it by bringing the best in so at the start of uh, the pandemic at the start of 2020 i said to my sister who works for me i said look i will build a co- team of coaches i've got a list of athletes that i want these are the people that i will bring on if they want to obviously <laughs> um, and by the end of 2020 i will be able to say that we deliver world-class coaching whether you are the best in the world, or you can't even run 5k without stopping. It doesn't matter. We will be able to cater for every single athlete. So it started with Roscoe, then brought in Tom to do all of our ultra coaching, because I'll touch on that in a second. And then we bring bring in Ali, which is a huge addition. And now we've got four coaches, including myself. And the infrastructure is incredible, because like, even if someone tomorrow offered me a world-class addition, I can say I don't need it. I, don- I genuinely don't need it. We've got every piece of the puzzle. We've got the admin side of the business, we've got the business side of the business in myself. We've got the coaching side of the business like it's so strong at the moment and that has trickled down to the standard of coaching.
1: Uh yeah, proud man. So is this all online stuff or do you do like in person so like coaching obviously could be Programming for someone and telling them this is what I want you to run, but then do you do like in person stuff and be like, well, let's look at your mechanics and how you actually run. So it's all in, it's all online. Mm-hmm. We were always an online running coach,
3: but in person's my passion, man. In person is is hundred percent my passion.
0: This is unreal. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, oh, it flies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. L and N. Are they a sponsor for the show, or did you buy these? All right. <laughs> yeah, so
3: um, I, I much prefer per- coaching in person to online. Um, like, I would, I would coach people for free in person. Like, I love it that much. Um, but, so my coaching started, if you like, when I went to university, When team project run was a thing. I started coaching the kids at the uni. When I say kids, I meant, like, the local kids club. Um, and that was, like, a voluntary role. So I was coaching kids, like, three times a week.
2: Um, a question, if you yeah, of to right right, me. Lloyd. Come, come back to this question, I'm just going to ask it now and then go away. I want to know what's the difference in your eyes between someone who's really good at a sport and then becomes a coach, and and someone who's just born to be an amazing coach. They may be actually really good at what that thing is, but to me, in my experience, there's a massive difference between someone who's there are people who are like being the best athletes or players in the world, and they just they think that that's the ticket to coach. They don't know how to work with people, or get the best out of people, and they rely on that expertise. And then there's just some people who are like unbelievable at like coaching people. I'd love to kind of get an insight into your view because you're one of those people that I think are born and raised, born and bred coach. You know what I mean? So yeah, sorry to interrupt, but that's just something I thought I'd love to know about.
3: Yeah, that's a, quite an easy, easy answer for me. And that is the difference between someone who is a fantastic athlete, really high-skilled, steps into the coaching world, and the difference between someone that may be not as talented as an athlete and steps into the coaching world is the ability of people. How do you manage people? How do you mirror people? How do you help people? How do you know people? And, I'm, and I literally categorise that as how good are you at people? I will categorically say I'm the best in my industry at people. I've never found anyone better than me at people because remember when I worked at that customer service job and I had to deal with those assholes? Mate, it gets my hands shaking. I'm so passionate about this, man. I dealt with so many horrible people that eventually you learn how to manage horrible people. And when you learn how to manage horrible people, you also learn, do you know what? How do I manage you so much that by the end of this conversation, you like me, and you're not horrible. And if you can learn that, man, that's powerful because if you can mirror someone and make them feel good about themselves and educate them at the same time, whether you're selling them a car, selling them an MIT, selling them a 5K time trial, or why you should do this workout, they're gonna believe in you and they're gonna, be- they're gonna have confidence in you because you've listened to them, you've understood their point of view, you've said to yourself, right, I understand where you're coming from, this is now what I think you should do because of my experience and I'm going to help you through it, why would they say no? They're going to be so keen for it. And that's literally what I do every day.
2: Yeah, that's a real, real valuable insight and something that yeah, I've seen myself as a, as a player, being coached by people. Um, like You can have all the knowledge, all the expertise. You can have the best game plan, the best training programs. But if you don't know how to... A human being on board with you. It's all the majority of it's pointless. Yeah. And would you would you say, Lloyd? Like sometimes when uh, say some an athlete's been so good at their sport and they have never retired and they're known for being unbelievable, then they go into coaching. Not all the time, because some of these athletes are amazing at understanding people, like you just described. But would you say and have you seen in the running world that sometimes that almost ego of no, like feeling like you know you are the best because you've done it, gets in the way of that getting people on board and that connection with people? I'd love to hear your insight into rugby because I feel that's a thing in rugby, <laughs> in, in, my, in the sport that I've lived is rugby. like people. The best in the world they rely on that they, their ego almost gets in the way of them connecting with people, and getting them on board it 's like almost like they tell you what to do because they 're the expert rather than be like, "I can bring this out of you you know is that is that something that you've seen in the running world yeah it's
3: very relevant it's very relevant in the running world at the moment um, over the years there's a lot of coaches that i've seen over the years that were really fantastic athletes, and they may believe that they're a good coach because they were so talented as an athlete and their methods worked. But, and don't get me wrong, it can translate. There are some incredible coaches that were amazing athletes. But let me use a prime example. David Rudish's coach, brother Colm, Irishman living in Kenya, never run a step in his life. And he coached the best ever athlete at the 800 metres to run the fastest ever 800 metre time. How does that translate? Never running in his life, but he can coach one of the best athletes ever, and he's gone on to coach some amazing athletes in Kenya because he is so good at people. He's so good at nurturing people. I think it very much depends on the sort of athlete you are and what you respond well to. I would never personally respond well to someone telling me, this is how you should do it because it worked well for me. Because my question is, well, what if it doesn't work for me? Because then I'm gonna come back to you, mate, and I'm gonna ask, well, what do I do now? Why not we, athlete and coach, meet in the middle with opinions, with you know, their version of events, you know, what they think that could work well, and then you come up with the step forward. Because that is an athlete-coach-driven relationship. It's not a coach-driven relationship. It's not an athlete-driven relationship. Athlete-coach-driven relationship are proven to work better than the previous mentioned. It's so obvious. Um, so in terms of a- athletics at the moment, yeah, 100% it's relevant. Um, I actually read an amazing tweet yesterday It was about coaching and athletes, and it said that a coach should never coach an athlete to fulfill their achievements and fulfill their goals. A coach should coach an athlete to fulfill the athlete's goals and their achievements. And that is so true. When I think about, I've made mistakes, so many mistakes with coaching, and I hold my hands up to that. Every time I've thought about making a decision, it's always for the athlete. If I can fulfill an athlete's goal, that's going to fulfill my goal. So... I'll fulfill their goal first, whatever that may be, run a PB, complete a distance, whatever it may be. That's gonna fulfill my goal because it's gonna, one, it's gonna give me the most rewarding experience ever because it's gonna make me feel good. And two, it's another it's another notch on the bedstick. Sti- bed like one of my athletes is, is smashing it. So I think you mentioned a great word and that's ego. You have to put your ego aside, whether you're a coach or an athlete, because there's always gonna be someone that knows more than you. There's always gonna be someone that reads more, works harder than you knows more from a book, whatever it may be, like, I will say, like, I, don't, I don't know anything compared to some coaches. Some coaches out there will wipe the floor with me when it comes to things like scientific evidence, scientific research, but realistically, mate, I'm not, I'm not going to be that guy that stands up and says, I know more than you. I can give a shit if people know more than me or not, but as long as I'm staying true to my gardens and staying true to what I believe in and staying true to that mantra of being good at people and making sure that I can get the most out of them, um, I can go to bed easier now. I
2: think as well, like, it has a limited shelf life when someone kind of comes from that level of hierarchy and they're, like, they're telling people what to do all the time. That might may have a, like, short-term success because at first the, the person wants to do well, so they're going to do everything that this person says. But I think humans aren't designed to be told what to do all the time. And then, and then I think you see it in, like, the sporting world, like football, rugby, team sports, coaches that come in and they're like um very almost they're, they're coming from a, like a hierarchy perspective and and they 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 yell and they shout and they're very regimented and, and all of that they can actually like have short-term success where they may win win a competition and within a couple of years but often they're the coaches that will win a comp and then they're off to another club because it's almost like they're up yeah, yeah, up, yeah. that Why way of winning has a shelf life because the person can only for so long be just continuously told what to do and controlled and be part of, like, a robotic system. Eventually I feel human beings' freedom uh, to just express themselves and be themselves starts to come through. And the funny thing in sport is I feel coaches are can be very egotistical and it's, like, their job to tell everyone what to do and keep them in place. But I think what you're saying is it's actually their job to facilitate a culture and an inclusivity and a freedom to express. And one thing I've I seen is the example, the difference between, it, and sorry to keep using rugby as an example, it's kind of the world I know is uh, as a strength and conditioning coach, the difference between how they relate to the players compared to a head rugby coach or a, or a head attack coach or something is. The s coach almost knows that he's on the same level as the, the players. His job is to work with the players to get the best out of them. His job is not to like bark at the players, tell them what to do, be regimented. It's like, if we can connect and be on board with each other, you're going to understand where I'm coming from. We're going to be able to adapt what we're doing to you as an individual, and we're going to get the best out of you. Because it's not one size fits all. With that, no, whereas, right. whereas almost like the head coach is like, no, this is the way we do it. This is you adapt to me, you do what I say. If not, you don't fit my system. It's quite, a, to me, it's quite interesting because you see the relationship between I feel the S and C guys a lot of the time, and the players is quite a tight knit, and there's a real respect. And then almost like the one with the head coaches often is like a fear or a disconnect or it's that they're the ones that the players are almost more likely to talk shit about. <laughs> and and yeah. the, the S&C's the ones that are more likely the guys are going to have their back. So it goes to show why some coaches have a limited shelf life if they're coming from that controlling. So it's cool for me to hear that that's a perspective you have as a, as a coach and an understanding. And it's cool to hear that it's been molded by, you know, like your life. Like, it's not reliant on, like, working in customer service is perfect. Like, you've got to learn how to connect with people that aren't happy. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, for
3: sure. And and um, one, one point you made was an athlete coming out of themselves and showing what they're capable of is so key. When I take on a new athlete, in the early days of Team Project Run, I would take on every single athlete, get an inquiry, take an athlete on, start coaching them, perfect. But then, I don't know when it was, at some point I learned... And you, only, you learn by doing, man. Right, you can read a book, yeah, great, and it'll tell you the science behind it. But if you're shit at doing it, you're shit at doing it. Simple as possible, right? Um, some people aren't designed to approach oh, either, bro. It's so so they, they just
2: keep going. But anyway, sorry to interrupt.
3: So, like, I've learned by doing stuff. I research, of course. I learn, yes, I read, all of that, because I'm passionate about it. But I've made mistakes, and I've learned by making those mistakes. And the biggest mistake I made was thinking that I could coach everyone. And it's the biggest mistake I see online coaches making today. They get an inquiry, they take a coach on. I'm not gonna say I've not done it because I just said I did do it, but it's not what I do now. I'll have a call with an athlete. If I feel like I can't work well for that athlete, if I feel like I'm not gonna gel that athlete, and I feel like they're not going to work well of my other coaches, I'll send them away. I'll say, I don't think you're going to work well for us. I know what sort of coach I am. I know my strengths, and I definitely know my weaknesses. I don't get on with everyone. People, I'm not everyone's cup of tea, and that's fine. But the people that I do work well with, the people that do buy into my training, the people that do buy into my vision, and they do give me their 110%, they're going to get a bloody good coach. And as long as you, do, as long as you stay injury-free, as long as you uh do all the other elements of the training that we talk about you should progress and should, should enjoy yourself but the, the one of the questions and what i get on, on a consultation call is you know how it works and all of that and i say to them i was like look you can ask me a million and one questions a day i have some athletes that ask me a million one questions a day and i have some that i've coached for three years that never ask me a question the reason why they don't ask me questions anymore is because as i said to them and i'll say the same to you i want you to become the most self-sufficient athlete that you ever think thought you could be possible i want you to get to a point that in a year's time you know everything that i know so that you don't need to ask me a question about your running because you already know subconsciously you've already got the confidence in that in that method in that vision If you've got the confidence in something, you'll be able to apply yourself better. That's common knowledge, everyone knows that, right? So it's fine to ask me questions because I'm gonna teach you, I'm gonna educate you. I'm gonna teach you all that I know. Once we get to a point where I've taught you everything that I know, and you feel like you've got to your absolute maximum as an athlete, then there's a case for concern to, or a, a potential for a conversation to say, right, where can I go from here? That may be to move to a new coach. That may be for me to say, right, you need to try something new, whatever it may be. But I think there's definitely a massive problem out there at the moment where coaches feel that there's a one-size-fits-all, that their method is the only method and because it's worked for one athlete or worked for 100 athletes, and it's just not true. It is just not true. And I think those decisions are massively dictated by them, driven by money. They're driven by success. They're driven by the fact the fact they're in a pandemic. I get that. The, I get that's going on, but fundamentally, if a coach doesn't work for an athlete, who's going to suffer? It's not going to be the coach. The Coach's got loads of inquiries. It's going to be the athlete. It's going to be the athlete that has a shit year of running. It's going to be the athlete that gets put off by online coaching. It's going to be the athlete that maybe will stop running. So I think it's just a, a yeah.
2: To what some you said before that really stuck out to me Lloyd like you've realized that you are a success as a coach when your athletes are doing well I think many coaches get the wrong way around they're like how do I get to where I want to be but I think you answered the question you you create value for your athletes you are gonna be a great coach I think I think too many are, are like I'm gonna use this situation to get to where I want to be and they've overlooked the actual what they're there for is to provide value, help people to improve and evolve. An example that sticks out to me is the last um, couple of scenes of my rugby career, I was in the championship which is the second tier of English rugby and I saw young guys who were the most talented in the team get approached by premiership clubs. And, and this was a sign that the coach had helped them evolve and that they were playing and doing well. So they got seen by someone at the step above. Every athlete that is looking at it as their profession wants to progress. And and these clubs would come and the championship club would turn down this young player's opportunity to go step up and get a contract at another club because they wanted to hold on to them and keep them at that level. That's this guy's like career. like that, that's his future earnings, his future development, his progression and a, and a coach selfishly like no I want to keep him because he's playing well for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that to me is a sign why so many coaches don't step up because they don't have that, that understanding that if you are at one level and you as a coach want to step up, I don't think it's necessarily always about winning championships, it's like how are you Allowing the players that you coach to step up, to evolve, to get better. Like I think if a, if a team looked at a track record of a coach and said, damn, this guy's had 20 young players step up to another level, but he hasn't won a championship, I'd be like, this guy is doing something very, very well. He should be at another level. Um, and that's what I love hearing about your philosophy, something that I feel very strongly about through my sporting career that's overlooked and... Um, Progress as a coach and to be a great coach—it's it's actually what you're doing for the for the athlete. Um, but I'm mindful that I jumped in, and and I'm also mindful. How long has this podcast been going for? Quite a while. <laughs> hour and three. Well, we we no, I mean, get, I I bro, get, the thing yeah. is, there's some unbelievable yarns here, and Lloyd's got so so much to share. We we might have to book in an episode too.
0: I said we're gonna do it on goon. We're getting some boxes of goon in. There you go. go. Yeah, but a Lloyd special.
1: So to be okay quick. sweet
0: right so coach cool. lloyd i like calling you coach, oh, lloyd. coach um, lloyd. hey when i got when i put coach before my name because i, ha- I head up the wrong club best coaches thing ever you should be called coaches it
1: gives an aura of respect yeah but i don't, yeah, but I don't, coach, I don't coach anyone yet lloyd i'm
0: a i'm a i'm a phony okay. in this world I'm
1: even more of a phony i'll put coach dollar on this thing and i, love I haven't coached it. anybody it. i love Right, well, so hundreds of online coaches that are coaching running that call themselves
0: coaches in the UK, so I won't worry. Shots <laughs> shots fired. Oh, pew. Bang, bang, pew, pew. Anyway, so it sounds like community has been sort of a forever thing from the start of your running career when you were there with, with the older guys running your six hundred meters. You're then in Australia and you see you see this run club going past, you're impressed by it, it makes you it makes you get home and start a business, team project run that gets really popular. So community and running because for me, I've only just started to feel it myself because my running passes, I got into it because I was unhappy and it was an amazing remedy for me. But at the start, I was always a lonely runner and I didn't want people around me. So when you're engulfed in that area first, suddenly now that we have a pure Sport Run Club and I'm so stoked that you've helped me with that and. You're, you're doing everything you're doing the difference is is crazy because obviously as I said I didn't want to be running around people before because I was upset but now the whole thing about community for me is the biggest aspect of it and in these times where you're not seeing people as much you can't go out and see friends and family having a sense of community is difficult and setting up the Run Club with Pure Sport has bought me so much value to myself because I'm in the Strava Club on I'm checking it, I'm yeah. looking through what people are doing, and there's this inspiration bubble that goes around. It's like some people say they're inspired by maybe what, what I do or what yeah. you do, and you instantly get a, a throwback from there. They think you've helped them, but what's really happened in that scenario is they've helped helped you. So what is it that you love most about the community? Shoot. Yes,
3: yeah, community definitely starts back when I started when I joined my senior men's team in the running club, yeah, it's where I learned that... Commu- commu- I've learned I've learned so many things about community. I've got things wrong with community, I've got things right with community, and it's changing every day, man. But my most sort of recent way of describing what community means to me, it just, do you know what it means? What the fuck you want it to mean? And that's what I love about it. I love that if community means what it means to you, and it means something completely different to me, that's fine. But we're still part of the greater community. So whether you are fast, slow, fat, thin, black, white, English, German, no one gives a shit. As long as you run or we have the same passion, you're part of the same thing. So it's massively about letting your guard down, dropping the ego, and remembering that we're all doing the same thing for the same reasons at some point. So someone might be look, they might look completely different to you aesthetically they may be a completely different build to you but they're going through a really tough time with the other half at the moment but running has been a virtue for them and it's the 30 minutes a day they need to get out and they love doing it and they love sharing their selfie on instagram and they love it when you comment on it now a year ago you went through a really shit time with your other half and you found running to be a massive part of your life that helped you get through that So all of a sudden you have something in common and that's just one prime example of how people can come together, whether it's online, in person. And I love the fact that there's almost like a, no one gives a shit. No one cares how many likes you've got, how many followers you've got. No one gives a shit what shoes you've got on. If you can say that and you're part of a community, I think it's awesome. Um, there are some communities that are completely opposite of that. And that's not my sort of vibe at all, but. Community just means what you want it to mean. And I always say, like, for, for example, like Team Project Run, our Facebook community group, I, I have some like, basic questions that I have to ask anyone that wants to come in. And if they don't answer them, they don't get allowed in. It's very simple. What does community mean to you? And I'll look at every answer. And if someone can't answer that question, you're at the shop, mate. You know what I mean? You want to go down the road. But if you can say to me, community means this, community means that. In you come, because you understand what it means to you, and I'm cool with that. What it actually means to you, I don't really care. But as long as it means something to you, that's what it's about, man. It's Mm -hmm. powerful.
1: How do you think it's changed over the last year? Because, like, in my experience, like, before the pandemic, before we went into lockdown, I would never have dreamt of joining a running club because I didn't think I was good enough. You know, like, I could run out. I, I didn't have an experience of any running, but I thought there's no chance of me joining a running club because I'll just be left in the dead and i don't really like being the one at the back of the pack but then obviously since lockdowns happened and then everyone jumped on strava everyone was doing these 5ks and stuff like that and then i got involved in it and i was looking at these running clubs on strava and i was like actually i'm not i'm not that bad and there's loads of people from like really elite people down to the people that you know like 5k is like their maximum distance and it's like a huge achievement for them and i was like all right that's not too bad how do you think it's changed over the last year have you seen an increase and people joining onto like these running clubs because there wasn't anything else to do during the first lockdown. Everyone just started running. So compared to say two years ago and now, has there been a change in the whole like community side of running?
3: Massively, yeah. The um, the the running club. When you, when you say running club, I I understand that as a an England Athletics or British Athletics registered club where you'd go down to your local track night. When I did when I was seven years old and. That side of the sport has changed over the last five years massively, and clubs are dying out in the UK. They are really on their ass because they are so, there are so many clubs that are very elitist. From the 1980s through to the 1990s, it was always about being the fastest and being the best, going down to your club to be the best, through to the early 2000s. Post-2012, this thing called Parkrun arrived. And all of a sudden, it didn't matter how fast you were, every Saturday morning at nine o'clock, you're all going to run the same route and you're all going to run through the same finish line and get the same barcode. No one gives a shit how fast you are. No one cares.
1: No one cares.
3: I don't care how fast you are. Good for you, bro. Keep at it. So what that does is it makes everyone feel a little bit more acceptable, a bit more equal. And that's where commercial run clubs, run crews, Strava run clubs have landed and just gone boom. Because all of a sudden they, de- they delete, they completely get rid of that feeling of, I oh, don't think I'll be fast enough. The reason you think that is because there's this aura around running clubs from years and years ago that gives that off. It is proven at some clubs that is the case. People won't go to them because they won't be accepted because they're not fast enough. But there are clubs out there that do accept everyone. There are run clubs like ours that do accept everyone regardless of what you wear, what you look like, who- how fast you are. The clubs that can say we don't give a shit as long as you can run are the clubs for you the ones that do care about being really fast that do care about what you look like are the clubs that are on their ass because nobody wants to be a part of them they're like that group on the uh, gr- a group of school kids in the canteen that nobody wants to sit with because they're just arseholes. <laughs> so that's fine if you want to crack on with that that's fine but community has changed so much because People are starting to come together where it's virtually in person because they've realized
0: no one cares how fast I run,
3: no one gives a shit. So, why don't we all not give a shit together and enjoy the running side? Which is why it's so popular right now.
0: I'd say kudos to us then, because firstly, for you coming in and saying I want to do this, me already having the idea and sort of my n- naivety, because as of I'd still say I'm a relatively new runner, I only started. Three years ago, I never had the inclination to join a club, but at the same time, I didn't. I didn't know there was this this fucking elitist table. I just assumed you went to a club because you wanted to. But that's that's probably me looking at it because I come from an athletic background, and I'd probably think back myself. But I don't have that viewpoint of of the person at home that's probably worried about joining a club. So if you're going to join one, pure sport run club, and if you need some coaching, Team Project Run yeah, yeah, yeah. proofs in the pudding. He's got loads of athletes and they're all pbs very true that's all i'm very saying true. right so how many how many miles do you run a, mi- a week average
3: moment about 85 to 90. Miles.
0: miles yeah miles. he's a double runner a, a, double a, runner a day six days a week six i have one day off come yeah.
1: on i have a day off
0: Oh no, sunday's you long, sunday's run, long run,
1: run yeah it's quite often i see you all running right. around bushy park or oh, i look at your strava because we live probably what five minutes away from yeah, each other clear. So there's me running around Bushy Park, and then I see his times running around Bushy Park and it just yeah. blows mine out of the water. I don't like looking at these times either. It means fuck. Right. It's, honestly- <laughs> hey, we, don't
0: give it, we don't give a shit about times, they're all about getting up right. and doing like, it. It's,
1: like, it's like, inspirational right. for someone like me to be looking at these and being yeah. like, fuck, these people are so fast.
0: But, but the thing is, it's also levels to it because there's people I, like, I'll look at Lloyd and be like, shit the bed, 14 minutes something 5k. And he might look at someone that can do it in 130 minutes something, and be a like, that, it's all so relative, isn't it? yeah. And, yes. and one thing people forget,
3: it's like, I've been grafting for 20 years, man. I've been doing mm. this shit for 20 years, and I'm still trying to be the best I can be. So, these things happen overnight. Compared to what I am now, I was shit for years. Like, I sucked for years compared to what I am now. I, I, th- I still think I suck. I do suck compared to Kipchoge. So, there's, there's <laughs> levels, man. Like, it means fuck all. Unless you're, unless you're Kichoke,
0: yeah. everyone else sucks. Everyone else sucks. <laughs> Trust me. I
3: actually listened to that on a podcast recently. The guy said, realistically, we're all shit at running. We are, yeah. unless yeah. you're only really a Kichoke. Why don't we just all realize that
1: and enjoy running? I don't mind being shit. Be shit I I'm, le- I'm less than a year into my running life. And if you can be a little bit less shit next year, that's, really nice. that's the aim.
3: miles a
0: week
3: so yeah the harder you can recover and the better you can recover the better you'll be at running because it means that you can train harder you can train and smarter more efficiently recovery is for me now, yeah, coming up to 27 years old, I very, very, very quickly realized that it takes longer for my body to recuperate. I get more aches and pains, more niggles and stuff. So I'm really, and coupled with the fact that I read, a, I read an article that LeBron James invests over a million bucks a year in his body for his health. You, you start to think, maybe I should invest in that product that costs a hundred pounds because realistically a hundred pounds is absolute pennies when you think about what it can actually do for your health and wellbeing. So now my recovery is, and I'm still finding new ways to to increase it, but it is the most important part of my training, whether it's my diet, whether it's my sleep, whether it's the products I use, the supplements I take, every inch is worth it because it will come back to pay in the end. So your gut is,
0: um, you're a Yeah, yeah.
3: First was my sleep quality. I've never, I've not slept so well in years. I've openly spoken about my mental breakdown that I had. You know, I spoke about burning out from work. The result was a mental breakdown and my anxiety went through the roof. So things like, and I think that just comes from stresses of owning the business so young, but um, the, the, the first impact was my quality of sleep, massively increased, improved. Um, my anxiety levels are completely dropped. Um, Normally, factors like that and variables like that, you don't notice unless they're so severely changed. And the change has been incredible. Um, I, yeah, it's, it's it's become a daily, I use CBD daily, um, massively trusting it. I'm very apprehensive when it, when it comes to, to taking a new supplement, as many athletes are. Um, but every time I take it, I just think, it's like a small investment. You're putting it into a savings account every single day. I'm paying back to my body. I'm paying back to, back to the recovery that I need. And it's like, that's why there's a real bug for me sometimes when I hear people say, oh, that's too expensive or, oh, that's a, that's a lot of money. Well, it's like, is it? Do you see that as an expense or an investment? Like when I go and get a massage from a physio, I don't really see it as an expense. I see it as an investment. It
0: feels good too.
3: Yeah, man. It's an investment. If you can, if you, can you have widely acce- access, access to these investments, yeah, it's going to cost a few quid, but it's like, if it means that you can run 10 seconds faster tomorrow, I bet you'd take it. And it's legally. Yeah. That's
0: it. That's what we like. All right, Coach Lloyd, we've taken up a lot of your time. We're going to do some quick-fire questions to end, and All they're right. going to be totally off of the cuff. All right. All right. I love this. All right. Ooh. Don't hold back. Favorite meal? You're going next.
3: Um, meat pie with mashed potato, broccoli on the side, and a pint of Guinness.
1: Peanut butter or Nutella?
3: Peanut butter and Nutella shit.
1: <laughs> Crunchy or smooth?
3: Smooth. No one wants a bits Good in man. your teeth. Good
0: man.
1: I'm lazy. Guinness or lager?
3: Guinness.
0: All 5K day. or 1500 metres?
3: 1500 metres. Favourite song? Slide away, Oasis.
1: Quote to live by.
3: Um, if one you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together.
1: Go. Oh, it yeah, fires yeah, me yeah, up yeah. every time I hear that. Yeah, it is one of my mottoes. Fuck yeah. Um, favourite ever sporting achievement?
3: oh wow yeah um, when I was a junior I broke four minutes for 1500 meters I was pretty gassed about that that was quite a cool achievement that's pretty quick.
0: young Lloyd young fast Lloyd right hey it's been an absolute pleasure having you here I'm so stoked that I can put my name alongside you on something to do with running that's a huge personal achievement for me I can't believe that's happened so yeah, yeah, I just want to thank you for your time, your insight, your wisdom, and I'm sure there's a lot here that people can take away. Be that if you're a runner, if you're if you're in business, the way Lloyd did that and suck it all up, or even if you work at Vauxhall in uh, in the call centre because <laughs> you're going to how to deal with people now. Yeah, just remember, guys, we're all share running. And yeah, should we end on that? Yep. We're you're all shit one, three, one, two, three. We're, we're all share running. running. <laughs>